Good morning and welcome to a special extended edition of our Saturday morning review program, The Week on Three. I'm Christy Lai. And I'm Yuki Zhang. For the next 15 minutes, we are here to share with you some of our favorite moments from the past week here on Radio 3. We'll also try our best to point you in the right direction for fun things to do this weekend. If you're planning on going to the movies, then we have just a man to help you decide what to see. Yesterday on Morning Brew, James Marsh gave his weekly sermon, and he was a little confused as to why the brand new film Minions The Rise of Gru has become such a ridiculous success. But there's a pretty easy answer to that. The first Minions film made over a billion dollars worldwide, which probably, you know, explains why they have sat on this film for a couple of years, you know, much like sort of Top Gun Maverick or something like that. This was supposed to come out a couple of years ago. And as soon as the pandemic kind of reared its head, they were like, nope, we're going to pull it. We're going to wait. We're not going to go to a streaming platform like some of the others did or try and squeeze it out to get people back into cinemas. They said, no, we're going to wait. And because the last one made a billion dollars, you kind of get it. Um, however, this is not, you know, well, this is this is not that movie. Not that that movie was especially great, actually. Um, this is a prequel. So the first Minions, so, okay, let's go right back to the beginning. The Minions first arrived in Despicable Me, animated film starring um, the voice of Steve Carell as supervillain Gru, who had you know, plans to steal the moon and what have you. And he just had this little army of little yellow bobble-headed characters. Do you think this could have been an accidental sensation that they took over kind of thing? Mm. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because you actually interrupted me just as I was explaining that exact thing. Symbiosis. <laughs> 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 I know, I know. This is it's, it's the beauty of our artistry. It's how it works. Um, so, in the first Despicable Me, apparently, in the first draft of the script, the minions weren't even in the script. And in the, during sort of the animation process and the rewrites and what have you, that happens with one of these gestating projects, they added something. They needed something for uh, Gru's character to to um, pontificate to, if you like. And so they created this little army of um, minions and they proved uh, a surprise success so that in the sequel despicable me too they were given a much expanded role in the film and you know they were the clear characters were defined amongst them and they had their own little sort of spin-off episodic adventures within the within the feature and so popular with it and i think the studio realized what a huge mer merchandising opportunity they were as well you know if you look around now there's minions everything, you know, from pillowcases to duvets to cuddly toys to, uh, you know, money boxes, you name it. Um, so they saw that, you know, this this was the strength of the franchise. And so they created Minions, which was a spin-off prequel talking about how they've been around since the dawn of time, moving from one supervillain to another supervillain, you know, helping them in their nefarious schemes. And that made a billion dollars. They, they then did Despicable Me 3, which I thought was actually the low point of the franchise. Really, I just didn't find it funny at all. And so now we come back with um, Minions, The Rise of Gru. So this is the story of when they first, the Minions first met Gru, Steve Carell's supervillain, when he was a young boy. But he already has aspirations to become uh, super evil, as he puts it. <laughs> and in fact, there is a, a cadre of supervillains called the the Vicious Six, and they oust one of their members in a in a sort of little mini coup. And so there is an opening. So 
he uh, he signs up for it, but then he gets pretty much laughed out of his his interview when they realise that he's just a little boy. But he steals a pendant from them, which uh, you know turns out to be a key that unlocks a secret weapon that's going to sort of uh, they're going to use to destroy the world. So he runs off with it. So they run after him. The minions are in tow and, and embroiled in all of that as well, and hijinks ensue. I thought this was this was fine. It's intermittently amusing. I think the problem here is that the minions have now been given too much to do. It's kind of the law, the rule of diminishing returns. It's a bit like what they did with Johnny Depp in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. You know, he worked really well in the first movie because he was like the the weird eccentric comedy sidekick. But when you make him the main character, you get tired and bored of him very, very quickly, and he kind of like runs out of steam. The same is true of the minions. I think the, the more and more that the series hones in on them, the less funny they become. I think there's a squillion ten-year-olds that wouldn't agree with you, and that's what it's well, about. Well, I think isn't that, it? I think this yeah. is true. This, I think this is true. I mean, I went to see the film with a with a die-hard minions fan who just thinks that they're the funniest thing in the world, and. She chuckled and guffawed her way through the whole thing, you know, and uh, and you know that's that's absolutely fine if they if they are doing the job for yeah. you and tickling your funny bone, then who am I to say that it's not working? For me, they're they're becoming a little bit too articulate, a little bit too smart for their own good. What I always liked about the minions themselves is that they're quite mean. You know, both to each other, to one another, and just to everybody. You know, they are at the end of the day henchmen to supervillains. It's James Marsh with Phil Whelan on Thursday's Morning Brew. This week on the Common Room, Ben Cullen has been talking with UK singing star, the number one chart-topping Anne Marie. She's a real friend of the show these days, having been on with the guys a few times. This time, they talked about therapy, I just called, and performing during the British summer. I'm in London. The sun is shining. I feel great. Yes, it feels good to finally be speaking to people on the other side of the world again because I've missed this so much. Good, we've missed it too. We really, really have. Now, me and everyone else in Hong Kong, we've been loving I Just Called, uh, as well as a Majestic Remix. It is the perfect summer tune, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I, I will just say that about all my music, though, so you can't ask me that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I actually recorded this song nearly two years ago now in my wow. living room. Yeah, and it was it sounded very different to what version you hear now because it was a solo song, and it was very much similar to friends and you know 2002 and stuff like that and I loved it and I was like this is a summer tune we need to put it out we need to yeah, put yeah, it yeah. out and um it kind of got left and we moved on and we were making new stuff and then Naked heard the song this year and was like we love this we want to put it out and I was like great I've Let's always wanted it. to put it out Let's so go. um yeah they took it and put their spin on it and made it even more summery than it already was and then Lato jumped on it and I just I love collaborations obviously so I was all up for it good good we're loving it now you do have a huge summer planned right I do want to know being British is you know summer is such a huge part of our culture we look forward yep. to the long nights how much do you like performing outdoors oh it is the best 
to, but I do have hay fever. So it's a, <laughs> uh, what, what do I do? I mean, I always forget every single year. I forget I have hay fever. I'm like so excited for summer. And then my eyes start itching and I start sneezing. And yeah, but I, I love it. It's just like being outdoors is my favorite and seeing people in the sunshine or the rain yeah, yeah. or whatever is happening. And also like after having so much time without being able to see that is is a beautiful thing looking out into the crowd and seeing people close together again. It's like the best yeah. thing ever. Love it. Would you say you prefer it to be in, in indoors at arenas? Um, right now, yeah, different? in the summer. <laughs> in the winter, no, I'll be indoors. <laughs> yeah, good. Now, how much do you love going on tour as well? You've got, you know, a lot of dates coming up. How excited are you? Yeah, I, I think that's the biggest thing that I missed during the pandemic. So when this year came about, because we still didn't know when this was all going to come back, right? So we just was hoping and planning. And when it started to happen again, I said yes to everything. So I'm yeah. really busy this <laughs> year. So yeah, but we have um we have a, a tour coming to Asia and we have the European tour and I'm going to the US. I've just finished the UK one. So yeah, it's I'm going everywhere because as, I said, as soon as we're out of this, I'm flying everywhere around the world. So everywhere wants happening. you. Everybody wants yeah. you. Good. I, want to, I want them. So it's good. Now, I, it must be difficult because I know everywhere is special. But is there somewhere that you're looking forward to going where you're heading in the next few months? Yeah. Anywhere stand yeah, out? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, it is a difficult question because I literally want to be everywhere. And I, I think that I, I've missed so much connecting with people in real life like thank god for the internet and yeah. zoom and everything that's made it possible to still connect with people um but it nothing compares to like real life energy no you know? not and, at all and i i was taking it for granted i'm not gonna lie i was like i don't like people that much i want to stay inside <laughs> i want to go home and then i thought never again am i being like that i've missed people so much so yeah i i just can't wait to feel that again you know so yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to everywhere well well talking about that I, I also want to know with regards to feeling is there a song or a set of lyrics that you love being sung back to you everyone knows all the words to your songs is there something you love hearing back when you're on stage wherever it may be Ooh. I mean obviously the big songs like 2002 and friends everyone screams those out so yeah. much but when I sing perfect to me I love hearing people sing that back because it's such a vulnerable, open song where people are just like, you know what? I'm not perfect in people's eyes, but I am who I am and I, I'm okay with that. And I, when I hear people sing, that's perfect to me. When they scream it back, that is my favorite point of the that's show. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And then, and then I guess moving on from there with regards to you are who you are and you've spoken at length about therapy of course and you've helped mm. so many people through their journey through you talking about it where does mm. therapy now sit in your life is it a staple is it something you do every week how does it look yeah I do it once a week now without doubt yeah it's a it's a it's mad the journey that you go through with therapy I feel like right at the start you just let out so much of what you've been through in your life and the yeah. and your therapist or psychiatrist or whoever it is you're speaking to they figure out your brain in the first few months. And then you start talking about how to deal with those things. And now 
I just like talking to her about rubbish. <laughs> yeah. I just like I just like calling her up every week now and just chatting like she's a friend. So it's just someone that doesn't judge you, you know what I mean? And you can say anything to them and feel like they're supporting you and and have your back. So right now I just I love chatting to my therapist about random stuff and I'm more I'm more excited about life now you know and she's she helps me through everything so I'm gonna definitely do it forever (laughs) yeah good well that's that's amazing to hear and I'm so pleased that uh, you've got that relationship with her therapy is its own thing but like are there other things that you would call therapy as well whether it be Hmm going for a walk, going to the gym, whatever. What other areas have you got that's your therapy? Well, obviously writing a song because all of my songs are true stories about Mm. my life. So that is like definitely therapy for me. I would say to anyone, just write down how you're feeling because before I knew how to talk to someone, I wrote down how I was feeling and it helped me so much without realising. So writing it down, I enjoy puzzles. I enjoy Lego. Um... I enjoy cooking food. I think that that's like very therapeutic. And yeah, definitely going for a walk. That's something that's like new to me because I never really liked leaving the house. I was always really scared about that. And now I go regularly walking. I love walking and just being in space, like wide space and in the forests and nature. And yeah, that's that's definitely one of my favourite things to do. Ben Colin there, talking to UK pop sensation Anne-Marie. Why not listen to The Common Room live every weekday evening after the 9 o'clock news? On Tuesday afternoons, Sadia Usmani invites people to talk about their favourite food memories on The 123 Show. And this week, she invited Louis Lam from fashion tech startup Gossip to share with us how growing up in Vancouver, Canada has shaped his diverse and adventurous palette. Despite growing up with home-cooked Chinese meals, Lewis shared with Sadia a special memory with UK pub food, shepherd's pie. In case you couldn't tell the difference, shepherd's pie is made using lamb mince, while its sister, cottage pie, uses beef mince. Hi, Sadia. Really nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's lovely to have you. And now before, Lewis, we even talk about your soundbite um, and um, the shepherd's pie. (laughs) Let me just ask you a little bit about yourself. So you work for a fashion tech startup in Hong Kong Gossip. Mm -hmm. So tell me what exactly it is that you do. Yeah, so uh, we're a fashion tech startup and our key product is Gossip.com. You can just go online. It's an e-commerce platform like a fashion Google Mm -hmm. uh, where you can just search and discover the latest trending fashion, beauty and lifestyle products and shop right away. Oh, well, good fun then. Yeah, I mean, okay. COVID helped a lot. Actually, people were bored at home and then they're starting to shop more and more lifestyle products like candles, like soaps and everything, especially soaps, really? I have to say. Oh, yeah. wow. I suppose because but maybe maybe people are using more yeah. soap anyway. But like luxurious ones. Oh, like, yeah. nice. That's Not interesting. Not sure if I can see the brand, but yeah. Okay. Okay, well, it's I'll really keep nice. it in mind. I, I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think during COVID I bought any soap apart from the little squeezy things that you put on, yeah. and on your basins and stuff mm-hmm. so now food for you tell me a little bit about your kind of background and food like you know go back to your childhood perhaps mm-hmm. like was food a big thing I think generally in the Asian culture food is a big thing isn't it 
Absolutely. Well, I was uh, born in Hong Kong, raised in Vancouver, Canada, and it was my grandma that raised me up in Vancouver mm -hmm. um, herself. So she used to cook a lot um, Asian food, Chinese particularly, and it just brings back a lot of memories sometimes. I still miss her. She's in um, Canada right now, mm -hmm. and time to time I always just missed her cooking and the soups, like the Chinese soups. It's so good. Um, it mm -hmm. it's brings back a lot of warm kind of memories and all that. So now I kind of miss her just talking about it. Oh, <laughs> brings back. Oh, that's nice. It's always lovely. There is something else about, you know, family recipes and, and mm -hmm. what they taste. You can never get that same taste anywhere else, can you, no. from what your grandmother or your mother makes, things like that. Exactly. I think one of the um, favorite dish I liked is as simple as just um, preserved sausage, Chinese mm -hmm. preserved sausage with rice. Mm -hmm. and you cook it in a, a rice cooker, mm -hmm. as simple as that. And, and that just, the smell of it, and that just brings back a lot of mm. fun, like fun and really warm memories with my grandma. That's As simple nice. as that. Okay, so now tell me about your soundbite, because you've chosen, mm. and you know, I mentioned Shep and Spike, but you've chosen something which is so completely, distinctly sort of British. I mean, I was brought up in the UK, and Shepherd's Pie mm -hmm. is a comfort dish. It is a lovely dish, and I do like it. It's a simple dish, but tell me your experience of it. Yeah, well, Sadia, I chose shepherd's pie because it actually represents a lot of my memories and um, achievements um, at Gossip because um, my, part of my work is really working internationally with a lot of fashion brands like um, Net-A-Porter, Farfetch, Harrods, Selfridges, these UK mm -hmm. signature mm -hmm department stores online but all this time the communications have been just online mm -hmm. and through emails conference calls zoom meetings and it's we're basically just pen pals you don't really get a chance to have that in-person connection and then a few years ago I had the opportunity to go on a work trip and finally really meet them mm -hmm. in person um, in, in London so one of the first meal with the clients was where I had a classic shepherd's pie at a, at a local pub, and that's when it really hit, you know, I am in London, right? I'm mm -hmm. not in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. I'm finally meeting, like, the Harrods team. And, and basically, the, the shepherd's pie transported me completely to another world halfway across the globe, and I'm also meeting the clients in person, and it's just magical. And this was in a pub, was it? Yeah, a local UK, you know, Yeah, kind of, because, you know, in, in the UK, it's very common to have a pub meal. Like, you can mm. just go, and, and I suppose before the whole kind of no-smoking thing came in, if you went into a pub, it's usually very dark mm -hmm. and very smoky. Not very nice, actually. Very smoky. But but that was, and, and pub meals can be very nice. So describe the, the shepherd's pie to me. It's very hearty, you know, mm -hmm. like when you, the first bite of it, it's so flavorful. And the texture is just a lot of different layers, right? You get you get the the soft kind of crust, and then the meaty part, and then like a little bit of the mashed potatoes, that kind of thing. It's it's just so good. And then it's I never had one in UK, mm -hmm. um, and that was my first taste of it, wow. like an authentic one in, mm -hmm. in London, locally in a pub as well. So that was just uh, amazing, and I, I felt I almost forgot to talk. You know, like I was enjoying a wow the food. moment where yeah. food is concerned, right? Yeah, yeah. Because my CEO, she's she was studying in the UK, and like she brought us there, and then um, she was like, "Oh, the first thing you have to order here is going to be the shepherd's pie," and then I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to go for it." Okay. And then you know, she she knows how it tastes like already, and it's her go-to. But for me, mm -hmm. that was just like 
amazing. Mm, and have you, and then after that, you know, sometimes I suppose we have an experience where we try a dish at a specific time or a specific place and it's, and it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And then if we go back to that place or we try it again, we think, it's all right, but it's not as great as it was the first time. So did you experience that afterwards? Did you have it again somewhere else? And did you find that it was still okay? Yeah, I mean, like, it's still my go-to now. Okay. I mean, like, every time I go to London now, first thing I try to order is a shepherd's pie. It doesn't have to be a local <laughs> pub. It doesn't have to be okay. a local okay. pub. But it's my, like, go-to dish nowadays. Yeah. Like, even comfort food. But, like, even if I have one in Hong Kong, it's not the same taste I sometimes feel. Uh -huh. Maybe it's not with the clients. I don't know. But it's, okay. you know. Oh, I was going to ask you, actually, whether you have sort of you know, frequented the restaurant and <laughs> searching in a, in a kind of shepherd's pie crawl or something, looking for the best shepherd's pie in Hong Kong. You haven't really found anything. No, but when I always see that on the menu, I would order it. All right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But now I feel like it's more for sharing. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I can finish a whole one by myself oh. in Hong Kong, at least sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, sounds great. <laughs> so now, you know, you're a Hong Kong boy. You've been brought up here and obviously you, you've spent time in Vancouver as well. In terms of, um, you know, choosing food to eat here, what is your go-to apart from the shepherd's pie? You know, if you're going for an authentic, and, and you mentioned you like soups, mm -hmm. if you're going out for a meal in Hong Kong, what is it that you really love to eat? Comfort food, I would say. Sometimes I would resort to pizza. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's not really Hong Kong as yeah, such. Yeah, it's not Hong Kong. But I think, oh, if we talk about local Hong Kong food, it's always um, uh, barbecue pork rice. Okay. That's my go-to. I mean, like I've been searching for the best barbecue pork locally in Hong Kong. I think I've looked over YouTube, like Instagram, all that, and I, I think I finally found the top two kind of uh, places uh, for barbecue pork. Mm, yeah. Okay. So now, what other kind of main things do you like eating? In terms of desserts, is there any kind of go-to for you? Well, you've got the shepherd's pie, you've mm. got your pork barbecue, and obviously you lined up in one place which wasn't very good. <laughs> what would you go for for desserts? I would go for... It's very carb-heavy, um, but I, would, I wouldn't say dessert, but it's pineapple bun. Mm, mm. My favorite in Hong Kong. Um, I can eat it any time. Like, mm. That's why I think I kind of picked as a dessert per se is I can eat it after a meal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just <laughs> that good. Is Louis Lam sharing his UK pub food memory with Sadia? On next Monday's 123 show, Noreen Mia will be back with more fun and joy. You can welcome her on Monday by tuning in at 1.15. We're now two years into the pandemic and lives have been put on halt due to social distancing measures here. A new survey suggests that around a third of music industry workers have left or want to leave Hong Kong, as they cannot perform due to COVID rules. Most have lost their sole source of income and do not have enough financial support to survive the period. Also, on Backchat this week, Chris B, the founder of the Musicians Foundation, told Janice Wong and James Ockenden about their struggles. Because so many things have changed, uh, I actually did a study um, in 2020, um, July, and then uh, things have changed a lot. That was, you know, the first, second, third, fourth, now fifth wave. So we just thought, let's see what the situation for the music industry is like now um, after, you know, sort of like allowed to perform, allowed to have shows, not allowed, allowed, not allowed, allowed, and then 
you know, vaccinations and sort of, you know, I, I would have to say that the people in the music industry have kept on top of everything. Like, <laughs> the earliest to vaccinate, the earliest to, like, yes, we will comply with everything. Um, but yet, um, sort of a minority that um, I, I read <laughs> that don't matter, apparently, according to our um, outgoing leader. Exec- chief executive, rather. Right, don't matter how, as in, you know, there's, obviously they've been banned from playing, which is the, the, the worst thing that could probably happen to a musician, but also lack of financial support, is it? Yes, both, both of them, yeah. And, and I'd like to reiterate, it's not just musicians, because um, it's bars, clubs, hotel function rooms and such. So, you know, there's no, no live music at weddings, um, yeah, annual dinners. Um, so... Uh, these involve like um, sound and PA and lighting technicians. So it's not just musicians that have been affected. We have to remember it's 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 bigger than that. And and yeah, financially they've been left out. But honestly, these um, these grants. Um, I, it was interesting. Like the the tur the recent one, the temporary unemployment relief. Um, I encouraged a number of people to apply that that I knew were you know seemed to qualify as far as I could tell, yeah. like worked from October to December and then were unable to work because of the government restrictions. And I didn't know of anyone who successfully applied for it. Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> which which to me was really interesting, which was why we put that question into our survey, because I was wondering, well, did anyone get it? Yeah. Um, and, and at this time round, two years later, trying to talk to people and get them to fill a survey, there was a lot of apathy and like it doesn't matter the government's already said we're a minority and we don't matter um right. and yeah and there's a lot of pain out there yeah sure i mean well, because most even I, i'm a freelance writer so you know right, mm. i can write throughout this but mm. i you know obviously uh, live music has been one of the the worst hit is there is there any sort of outlet uh, has this uh, has music moved online or anything i mean it sounds horrible to me but you know can, can people play live <laughs> online <laughs> yeah they, there have been online shows and right. and, to, and technically people like venues with um, places of entertainment license have been allowed to have live music for like two or three months now that yeah. includes like ocean park disneyland and it's wonderful that some some people in the music industry are able to work at these venues. Yeah. What what is you know what is quite strange is that how does the virus know that it can't go into Ocean Park but can go into somewhere else? You know, uh, the virus doesn't know what licenses are. So. <laughs> right. And Chris, if like uh, your survey suggests that uh, many musicians or performers are leaving or planning to leave, uh, how big of a problem will it be for Hong Kong? Actually, it's, it's a huge problem. Um, it might not sound like a lot, like a third, but you've got some amazing musicians who have gone like, you know, they played with jazz legends and others. Yeah. They're going, you know, so when when it's all permitted again and like, let's have our wine and dine and etc., it'll be like, okay, let's get a band. The bands are missing key players, key performers, key singers sound engineers like because they've gone somewhere else so it will be a struggle at first honestly and, and do you think of these musicians or performers who have left uh, do you think they will return in future when anti-epidemic measures are relaxed further uh, some may but if they're if they're having a good life wherever they are why why would they yeah. well, <laughs> just, 
I, it's, it's hard to say. How many musicians yeah. uh, have uh, a sort of second job? I, I, I know actually some, some classical uh, pianists and, and, and jazz players who really, it's their full-time calling, but they do also need to work to make money. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how common is that, that they have sort of second jobs? And, and are those ones with second jobs, are they doing okay? Or is it just the ones that have, are sort of full-time musicians and rely on that income? Uh, both both sectors right. are really affected because some some musicians teach right yeah and some switch to teaching but actually I was listening to some teachers music industry teachers sharing with me their situations like you know I, there was a period of time where they had to do zoom it's very hard to focus young people <laughs> yeah. on zoom especially if they're having online school on zoom um, there's a lot of competitiveness when it's online teaching. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's actually much harder than people think yeah. um, than teaching in person. Um, yeah, so they, they have a lot of struggles. Um, not everyone who is a musician or a sound engineer can suddenly switch to teaching either. Yeah, um, yeah some, some have their plan Bs with their certificates and all that, which is great. But... I think we were all caught out because first we had the social unrest where events were being cancelled into a one night. Right. And we thought, oh, okay, it'll get better. And then when COVID first hit, everyone left to go to the UK and Europe, right? Yes. And people right. were like, oh, it's like SARS, it'll be fine. So they were okay with borrowing their money or using their savings. Most people were using their savings in 2020. Yeah. But no one expected six, nearly 600 days of not being allowed to work. That's awful. That, <laughs> I don't think even even financial coaches say you have six months in reserve, <laughs> right? Crazy. Not a year and a half. So, yeah, it's tough. What do you think about uh, Civic Exchange put out an idea about public space recently, which was about allowing uh, sort of paid buskers and sort of having proper auditions and paid pitches around the city? This could be a good way to support the music industry, could it? Or do, do you think that's a good idea? I, I think it, it, it's a good idea, yes. Um, I'll be, I hope it's implemented easily, um, and who would who would be judging if it's good enough? Yeah, it would be like the Covent Garden uh, situation, you know, where they have sort of panel. Uh, but yeah, exactly. You have to see who's judging. It's not some government uh, official. Yes, yes, because then we'll just have you know violin players, which they're lovely, but yeah. the whole Covent Garden was the creativity you could see, right? Yeah, and here. And Chris, um, there's a few more days to go before the uh, incoming chief executive, John Lee, will take office. Uh, what expectations do you have for him and his team? Oh, we have, we have high hopes. Um, we've heard he's a team player and um, that hopefully he'll, he'll realize, although, you know, the music industry is small, it could be very important. It could, you know, uh, you know underline, underscore Hong Kong being a world city, you know, like, because, you know, South Korea is a thriving music industry. Other places, you know, London, as you mentioned, it's like Hong Kong ought to be there. Right. Do you think we'll see a return to a big festival? We just finished Glastonbury, obviously, in the UK. Do you think there'll be a clock and flap or something like that coming? Or would that help local musicians? Uh, I think things like clock and flap, for your previous caller was talking about quarantine, that would need that. Yeah to be resolved before because um you know even if you're uh you know a major artist spending seven days in quarantine is and you're being paid for it is not very exciting i mean you could turn it into something exciting but these 
these performers are in high demand elsewhere in the world. So, yeah. like, go to one country and just go in, play the festival and leave, or go to Hong Kong. But we could have very local clock and flat, right? <laughs> Sorry? <so laughs> we could again. have a very local clock and flat lineup. Could do. They could do. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think the issue last year was because of the licensing, right? Yeah. You can, you can have live music, but you can't have F&B at the same time. Right. That was Crispy talking about the plights of local musicians during COVID. You can read the survey by going to her website, undergroundhk.com. Phil Whelan loves to invite as many local musicians onto Morning Brew as possible to perform and chat about their lives. He did that two days ago with singer and songwriter Paul Roth. Phil asked him how he's been managing during this rough patch. Well, for me, I've just been... Uh... I've just moved out from Wee Wa over in uh, closer to Mongkok now, so sitting now in what's uh, going to be the new the new home studio. The new studio, um, yes. Yeah, so a lot of yeah. a lot of uh, getting into writing over summer, so that will be great. But yeah, I'm really excited for when things do open up. I've managed to get down to the Wunch a couple of times last week, and it's looking incredible down there. I've seen the pictures. I haven't been there yet. Well, how does it feel as a performance space? Really good. Big, big, big upgrade. It feels like like a proper kind of like ranch sort of gig venue kind okay. of thing. Okay. Yeah, really cool. You know, it's hard to put your finger on this stuff, but as a performer, you kind of just know if something has the right vibe, don't you? It kind of feels good for some reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's good. There's a good amount of space there as well. Ah, makes a difference. All right, then. So uh, before we get into some music today, because Paul's very kindly agreed to play and sing for us, Obviously, handover time anniversary coming up. What were you doing <laughs> on June the 30th, 1997? I was, I was probably probably <laughs> kicking around a soccer ball in some sand, which was at our school. When I, mean, I was in I was in year four. I was uh, in year four then, I think. What, what age were, were you? I don't know what year four is. Ten? Ten? Nine or ten? I think I'm going to stop like this that. conversation <laughs> right now. <laughs> there was some, I tell you what, there were some amazing gigs that night and and for the following few days i mean you know we had it was in oh, happy, really? happy valley two great big stages brand new heavies wet 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 uh dada wah all sorts of acts oh, and then amazing. and then there was unity this amazing <clears throat> party tons of stuff went on sorry you missed it but you were only 10 yeah, at the time amazing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway right. if i'd known i would have come yeah mate yeah well it's really good that you've made it for 25 years later I think I'm just going to hand it over to you to tweak your knobs and stuff and give us some music, whatever you want. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm going to play an oldie, title track from my first EP, Remember This.
Speaking about the handover, Yuki, what were you doing during the night when the ceremony happened? Well, I don't really remember. I was barely two years old when it happened. But I do know someone that has an interesting story to tell. Our good friend Steve James had the chance to interview producer, promoter, and Hong Kong singing legend himself, Anders Nelson, who was producing a show on that stormy and rainy, eventful night. Let's hear how he managed to unravel everything. I was executive producer of a massive pop show、uh, so the, I heard. at Happy Valley Racecourse. And of course, it rained. And it rained. And then it rained again. And then it rained. And then it rained some more.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, fortunately, we were well connected because the company I was working for was owned by the sons of Sir John Swain. Right. And you know, he was not only the head of Legco, but the head of the Jockey Club as well. So I wow. Mean, I think the Jockey Club hat is probably bigger than the Legco. I、one. haven't heard that name for a while. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, unfortunately,、mm. passed away some years ago. But、uh, yes, very powerful. So they managed to get the fire services to come and pump the water out of the racecourse because it was knee deep. It was knee high. <laughs> right. And、uh, now, and, the, and what's supposed to be happening on this night?、Uh, a, a massive. Well, the next day,、ah. a celebration concert、right. called Celebrate Hong Kong. Right. And because、uh, it was flooded, and the、uh, electrical and mechanical department—is there such a department? <laughs> I think, think they are the ones who fix up your、This、mics stuff. and stuff. Yeah, yes, yeah. they said no way are they going to allow you know a band with、oh, all the electrical gear yeah, yeah, in yeah. the rain, you know, risking all of this and cars going in and out, limos. I mean, let me give you an idea、mm. of who we had on the show. Yeah, because I, yeah, I don't remember who was in town. Well, it wasn't me and Joe Junior and two other local oldies. It was <laughs> Lisa Stansfield. Oh, there I mean, you go. Was, yeah, all for one. Wow. Dadawa from China,、yeah. known as Sister Drum, who was、right. big at the time, worldwide. Yeah, yeah, massive. Yeah.、Uh, brand new heavies. Uh, a group from Sweden who'd sold in Asia, including Japan, called Freebie. Michael learns to rock, who were、wow. huge in Asia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tata Young, who was number one in Thailand.、Um, a reggae group called Saint and Campbell. Yeah.、Uh, which was General Saint and something right, Campbell. Right. They, you know, they were big at one time. Zhao Feng, who was big in China a few years before that, yeah, Mango Groove from South I Africa. I remember Mango Groove, right? This is all in one, in one all, day. Yeah, on two stages, <laughs> you know, alternating.、Uh, Yosuke Eguchi from Japan, who、mm. was up there at the time,、uh, and I'm going to skip the next one and leave that to last. It was Bali Sagu from India. He big, as I'm sure you know. As I'm sure I know.、Yeah. Aaron Kwok. Who is massive,、yep. representing Hong Kong,、yep. and the one I skipped,、yeah. totally apt, totally top of the bill. Three guesses: rain. I was going to say rain. rain. Something to do with rain.、Yes. Oh, wet, wet, wet. Oh, wet,、uh, wet, wet, wet. Yes, wet, wet, wet. I th- didn't、Brilliant. you interview them? You know, oh, we had people、yeah. running around in and out of I, studios. I got to be honest, that, it is all a bit of a blur. So,、yeah. uh, if, you know, but more so maybe for yourself no, because blur, blur wasn't blur on, wasn't on at that no, time. No, they were too no, big. No. They were yeah. Yes, but、uh, you were.、Um, but that must tell me that. Tell me that wasn't stressful. Tell me that wasn't stressful. That's why. 
you know, that night in bed just watching Prince Charles in the rain was was just relaxation. It was <laughs> was better than meditation. <laughs> well, or... hang on. Well, hang on. You didn't did you know that night uh, what was going to happen with the show? Well, we were totally on standby and been told that day that the second would have to be postponed. And what they, about the artists? These overseas well, artists. They were just they were in hotel rooms around the city. We had brilliant crew. Alex Ng of International Fixer with her people were looking after all these people. And, you know, I read out Only single imagine. names, but there were bands attached to that. Yeah, of course. And, and, and hangers and the on. Team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the whole entourage was there. All had to be fed, all had to be looked after, wow. had to, uh, nannified, if that's a word. You know. <laughs> and they were every single club and disco from Wan Chai to Jim Sacho was full of these people. What Hang- about the, 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 the event itself when it did go? Oh, right. So actually, it went what, a week later? Uh, the 5th. So finally on the fifth, did yeah. it go? Did it go? I mean, I know what live gigs are well, like. Did it go relative? Did it go yeah, smoothly? Yes, I. You know, I. I. Uh, I was sort of MC. Yeah. Uh, you know, soggy MC, if that's a concept. Soggy MC is Very a soggy great MC. DJ. It's yes. a great stage name. <laughs> yes. Uh, From this point on. <laughs> but if if you were to ask me if I had any regrets, yeah, okay. Not a single no. selfie, no. not a single what? picture taken, none of the artists no I, I just told you about, not a single Not picture. even a post, because we not used to do we, that with the camera. You'd, well, somebody, well, could you get a picture of us? We had Too busy. photographers, we had people, we had stagehands, all with cameras, not a single Unbelievable. So it never happened? Um, no, <laughs> well, I found a website. What? That lists every single concert that's ever happened in Hong Kong and who was on it. And in some cases, wow! Like uh, one of the one of the bands out of the ones I just read out. Yeah, they've even got the set list. I think it was uh, Michael learns to rock. Who set this uh, website? Oh, oh, well, are you allowed to? You know, can we plug I'll, them? I don't know. Sure, I, you know, I I uh, found it this it sounds, morning. Sounds great. Because I only got like to three artists, and then you know, yeah, fit, fit, it was fit, all fit, a blur. Out. I've forgotten about Lisa Stan. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, and it was brilliant. She got a good review. She got a great review. It was a brilliant show. Everybody who was there loved it. Yeah. Uh, of course, they were all only people who could swim. Mm. <laughs> You're handing out life voice at the yes, door. Yes, like uh, <laughs> rubber dinghies. <laughs> yes, yes, they were. And yeah, I have to I say... I still have mine to this day. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, after all these years, I have to take my hat off to the fire surfaces because mm. they were pumping water. And it was just coming back around, yeah. <laughs> around the corner somewhere, you know, just Well, you say you were watching back. it on... Uh, you were watching The Handover on TV... As, as I just caught up, um, I did on. I didn't realize how easy it was to find uh, an old TV mm. show. It was uh, ATV World or ATV, mm. whatever. Uh, um, was show, and you can find it on YouTube very, very easily. Right. And so I right. sat and watched a little bit, and um, every time the rain gets, it was raining heavy to start with all day. Right. But right. every time that Prince Charles started speaking, well, not every time when he started mm. his speech. More rain came down. It right, was just—it right. became a fog, and it's all blurry. It's, I mean, that's that's one of his superpowers, clearly. Right? right. What's this website? Yeah. Well, it, it 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 rained before, and it rained for the next few days. So uh, by the time we got to the fifth, it it yeah soaked. Yeah, 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 yeah totally just soaking soaked, up. Yeah. Okay, the name of the um uh, the website is concertarchives.org. 
That was Steve talking to producer, promoter, and Hong Kong singer, Anders Nelson. All right, I think this is it from us.